Okay, we're recording. We're recording, so if you're yakking, it's getting caught. Put away that unclean speech. Such things are not even named among the Gentiles. Let's go. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for the, for the opportunity to gather and to study and to think and to pray and to uh, be real and to, um, to walk another mile in the kingdom. Uh, we ask your mercies upon the sick. There's lots of people suffering with this and that. Uh, we want to especially remember this morning Jason George as he looks to his marriage next week and has this going on in the meantime that you would strengthen that family and help him to be faithful to pray for his body and spirit and that you would visit him in his soul in a way that only you can fully revealing yourself and that's for all Lord that we know in our families and friendships and co-workers that are lost but those are so close to us are so dear so we pray for the sick I pray for my wife with the flu I pray for others with the flu and ask Lord that you would again be merciful there heal us help us to know this morning that you have such love for us and to be open and honest with one another. Amen. Okay. This morning, well, for this week and next week, uh, we have a lesson. Then, then beginning on the 18th, and we'll have, a little, uh, we'll have a little promotional piece next week and the following week for a series on false teachers we'll be doing. But on the 18th, it's going to start with a panel. So we'll have a panel discussion, and then we'll go into five weeks, six weeks of particular <coughs> false teachers, and hope that's a really good time. I know it will be. Uh, but for this week and next week, uh, our, 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 uh, our lesson is Kingdom Heebie-Jeebies. Why, <coughs> why do I have them and what can I do about it? <laughs> this is an actual word, Heebie-Jeebies. thought it was just something people use, but apparently it's actually in our dictionaries. And I think it's very fitting. And I, it'll help you remember the lesson, if nothing else. What did you talk about today? The Heebie-Jeebies. Kingdom Heebie-Jeebies. And this this came out of something actually that I had a little exchange with a brother this week on something, and I thought, you know what, I can't just leave this alone. This this has to be, this has to be engaged. This has to be tackled because I think it's prominent among God's people. And um, so we let's let's get a little working definition of our terms, okay? Uh, when we talk about the kingdom, okay? When we talk about the kingdom, what what is the kingdom of God? couple words, maybe a sentence. What is the kingdom of God? Righteousness. righteousness, okay. What is the kingdom of God? Someone to ask you at work, you know, you people, you always talk about the kingdom of God. You Christians, what is the kingdom of God anyway? Yes? Well, my, uh, Christ says my kingdom is not of this world. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if that kingdom is the kingdom of God, then I would think it would be the spiritual realm of mm-hmm. things. So, so it, it is. It certainly is spirit. But is it? Is it? And I want to be careful always not to, because that's true. Uh, it is a spiritual thing, but it's got to be a physical thing also. Because I say that because we don't really divorce our material and immaterial being. So I think even when we talk about our spiritual being, we're still talking about mind-body. I think when Christians uh, and missionaries use that term, we're doing kingdom work, mm-hmm. I think it would sort of indicate what you're talking about, you know, that it's more than just a spiritual realm. There's mm-hmm. work to be done. There's people that need help. There's people sure. that, you know, that whether they're your, uh, your churchmen mm-hmm. uh, or your neighbors, I mean, you can extend there. Indeed. Sorry, did you already start? Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. 
just, we're just talking about the we're just talking about the kingdom of God. That's all. The drawbridge is open, so enter. Careful not to fall in the moat. Okay. So uh, let, uh, what I want to do is take a look at some scripture. And from those scriptures, let's ask the question, what does this particular scripture say? What does it tell us about the kingdom of God? So, let's start with Romans 14, 17. Uh, I'm going to have some people get some scripture ready for us, okay? So, Shannon, if you would go to 1 Corinthians 4, 20. Todd, Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Uh, Chrissy. Uh, Matthew twenty four fourteen. Um, I've got the wrong John here. Hold on a second. I've got the wrong John verse. No, it, it it's actually. Um, well, let me just get it. Let me just get it. I've got John three sixteen here. What was I thinking? It doesn't fit. Okay, so let's go John 3, 5. Uh, no, John John 3, 3. John 3, 3. Gary, you can do John 3, 3 for us. Not yet. Uh, and then, uh, let's see, I need someone to take Luke 17. Susan, would you take Luke 17, 20 to 21? Okay. And I'll begin here with Romans 14, 17. Okay. Romans 14, 17. And again, let's take a look at the verse and tell us, uh, see what it tells us about the kingdom of God. Some of you know this verse. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So it's, it's not a matter of eating and drinking, or the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. What does that tell us about the kingdom of God? Yeah, Mark. I think it tells us it's here and now. Mm-hmm. Definitely here. Yeah. Not, obviously not complete, mm-hmm. but it's a lot more than we might suppose. Yes. I mean, in context, this verse is dealing with the whole question of not causing others to stumble, which comes after the discussion of should I be eating this, should I be eating that. And so the kingdom of God is not a matter of should I be eating this, should I be... Like the focus is not, right, those things. Okay, uh, I don't think there's anything that. I mean, is there anything in the kingdom of God we can eat that would be sinful? I don't think so. I had a package of funny bones the other night. That was about as close to sin as I want to come, man. It had been a long time since I had anything like that. Blood, blood. Well, that's right. You can't eat things strangled by blood. We can talk about that. Yeah, I was just wondering, but their prohibition is not to eat blood. Hmm. You know, I don't even know. Honestly, I've I've not studied that out well enough. I don't necessarily understand uh, that scripture, what it meant uh, for uh, in the Mosaic Covenant, and whether or not we have to worry about that today. You know what I mean? Uh, So I I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't have to worry about anything with respect to that. The question is whether or not it's good for you. But the blood certainly represented something, and so you know. Okay, I won't go down that rabbit trail, but it is interesting, John. Well, when, when Scripture talks about the body being uh, like a temple, mm-hmm. yeah, 
to how do we not defile that town? Right. We're, we've got lots of lots of suggestions and sure. rules that say we've got to watch what we see. Yes. But do we do we pay attention to what we eat? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Gluttony is. Uh, well, you know, just not taking good care of the body, just eating garbage all the time, right? I mean, I think there's something to be said for that. But, and, and, but the bottom line is, uh, the kingdom is about uh, righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit, right? How about First uh, Corinthians four twenty? For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Oh yeah. What's that tell us about the kingdom? The kingdom of power. Yeah. Do we know the power of God that way? You know, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of great power. Um, sometimes, as Christians, we go through the world and we act as if we're in these sort of. Um, I saw an ad last night for uh, the newest Jurassic Park movie that's coming out in June or something, and these people are driving through this big sort of open area in these bubbles. There's a couple of seats, and somehow it's a motorized thing, but you can completely see them, and they see everything around them. And sometimes we act like that's the kingdom, like we're just moving through the world in a bubble. You know, we hope to have influence and have other people get absorbed into the bubble. That's not the way to think of it. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of power, which is a good thing. Why? Why do we need to know that the kingdom of God is powerful? What's at risk? What are we talking about? What are the powers that are at work out there? Yeah, so like the power of sin, the powers of, you know, it's the power of evils, the genuine demonic powers. Yeah. Just a, a quick uh, partial verse: here. God is for us; who can be against sure. us? Sure. Yeah. So that power is on our side. Yes, He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. Christ came to abolish the works of the devil. It says having a form of godliness, yes. denying the power. Absolutely. So. That power is referring to godliness, and every child yes. of God is classified as godly, and yes. godliness is an expected uh, mm-hmm. flow of the new birth. Amen. Yes. Yes. But, and more importantly, power that will conquer. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Resurrection power. Kingdom of God is a kingdom of power. We got to remember that, because we often feel weak, and we often feel a little bit, uh, almost. Um, completely powerless, which in some cases we are, but the kingdom power working through us. So there's a lot of things that we that can get us down and feel defeated. And we should never ever feel defeated. I'm just thinking is that uh, do we need to realize, I think too, that we are being opposed by the kingdom of the power of the air. That's right. Which sounds like a powerful thing, but it's obviously less power than what God displays and God exhibits. Yeah, it's a mighty, mighty power. I mean, the prince of the power of the air. I mean, I'd like to hermeneutically get into that and, and get a good grasp on what that means as well. The prince of the power of the air. What does that mean? The prince of the power of the air. But, I mean, we have a general sense that it has to do with dark spiritual powers and all that, but there's a very specific thing that that means. Um, my brother, God bless him, uh, the father of Jesus, and he, he probably admittedly say that he's... Uh, you know, he's sort of a rabid dispensationalist, right? Uh, he, he thinks like the radio. He, th- he thinks of all the things that come over the radio and those things. Mm-hmm. So there's some truth in that, certainly. You know, the devil controls the airways, that kind of thing. Um, okay, so it's a kingdom of absolute power. Uh, Todd, the Galatians passage. Now the deeds of the flesh are evidence, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger 
disputes, dissensions, factions, ending, drunkenness, carousing, things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Hmm. What does that tell us about the kingdom of God? Pure. Yeah. This, the kingdom of God, these things don't exist. They have, they have, a, they have a short shelf life. Okay? They have a very short shelf life. Um, and that's good news because we should be wary of that in ourselves and we should certainly be wary of it in the world around us. You know, that would be very good news to Lot, right? Who was righteous Lot, who was vexed with the unrighteousness that he was sort of completely immersed in. So that tells us the kingdom of God is not what we are completely in all the time. You cannot put the TV on without coming across that somewhere. You, you can't drive down the street without putting it. You can't see billboards somewhere without seeing that. Do you know I got uh, sort of the annual flyer from Clearway Pregnancy, who we like out in Worcester, and they were saying that there are billboards being put up somewhere in the Midwest promoting abortion. And billboards say things like, abortion is a family value. Okay? Abortion is a family value. I... I don't even know what to. I don't even know. I don't even know where to begin with that. You know, it's so we're we're in that. All those things. Anyone that practices these kinds of things will not inherit the kingdom. What does that tell us? What about that part of the verse? Inheriting the kingdom. What does that tell us about the kingdom of God? That is something we'll inherit. Hi. <laughs> Children inherit their fathers. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, inher- it's an inheritance, right? Something that's given, not something that's given. Absolutely. I, I was thinking if we have that partial power now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we kind of do. Can, you can not agree, agree, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think that what's going to be inherited is part of that full power where we're in His presence. Hey, look, we know that we ha- we, we can see part of what we're going to inherit. You know, it, it's, it's like the, the inheritance. The kid grows up; he knows what he's going to inherit. We need to know what we're going to inherit. Okay? And that's a good point. We're going to keep that in mind as we go through this, right? Because we, it's going to be very important as we think about the kingdom of God. Um, okay, how about Matthew twenty four fourteen? And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, mm-hmm. and then the end will come. Mm-hmm. What does that tell us about the kingdom? I like that it I like that verse very much because the gospel is about the kingdom. You know, those those terms are used a little bit interchangeably there. The gospel, the good news of, right? What's the um what's the what's the Greek word for the gospel? Anyone know? Is it the evan evangelion or something? Yeah. Right. Or gelion as some might say it. So the kingdom itself is good news. The good news about the kingdom. So there's good news to be had about this kingdom. Um, and that will actually oppose the natural man because if there's some other kingdom out there, then that means I'm immediately at odds with that because that's going to challenge my kingdom. Right? We all can be very much guilty at times of living in our own kingdom and thinking of anything that comes against it as a violation of that kingdom, right? 
We're king in our kingdom, right? Or we're queen in our kingdom as it may be. Jesus pointed out that he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight. Yes. And yeah. we don't have to do the fighting. He's already right. done it. Right, and it's, it's Tony referred to as well. Yes, Roy. So, uh, he said, my kingdom is not of this world, but when Jesus came, Jesus said, the kingdom has come near. Yes, yes. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So it's... Right. Yeah. right. What a difference a word makes. He didn't say my kingdom is not in this world. He said my kingdom is not of this world. Right. He doesn't derive his power from anything which speaks of his transcendence and his authority and everything else anyway. His power isn't from, his kingdom is not of this world. It wasn't bestowed upon him by this world. It wasn't given to him by the natural man. Natural man does not king Jesus. Okay? Natural man crucifies Jesus. John 3... Three was it, Gary? Verily, verily, I say to thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see yeah. the kingdom of God. What does that tell us about the kingdom of God? Well, that's a that may be one of the most sort of an, an enlightening verses. Uh, the thing that tells us the most about the kingdom, perhaps, of any verse. What does that tell us about the kingdom of God? What does that tell us about us? But what does it tell us about the kingdom of God? Not anyone, not everyone, can define it or see it. That's truth. Yeah. You have to be wicked in order to even know about it. Yeah. You, you, you can't even... It doesn't say except you be born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God, although that, that wouldn't be entirely missing the point. Right? You can't, you, you can't even perceive of it unless so, you're born again. So yeah. when you are quickened, mm-hmm. so when God does a work in your life and you, you are uh, born from above, <clears throat> I think you start to see the kingdom in... in now, yes. you see the effects of God's mm-hmm. work, but also you see things that you wouldn't ordinarily see if you if you didn't have that uh, God-given ability. Yes, Tony. I, I like what Mark said. I, I probably would have said it like you cannot see the power of the kingdom sure. here. Yeah, you don't see. Yeah. We don't perceive wow. it. We we don't perceive the absolute otherness of it. We don't perceive that it is not of us. We don't. Unless something happens to us very profound, being born from above, which is the literal translation as opposed to born again, right, born from above. Unless something happens from above, and to the original audience, what would that mean, right? So unless something completely outside of yourself happens to you, you can't even see the kingdom of God. I saw this video not too long ago. Um, the technology that's available now for... Um, people that have uh, hearing issues. Um, there was this little boy that hadn't heard anything since birth. He's two years old, and they got this device implanted in him, and they record the moment that he hear, first hears his mother's voice. And his face lights up, man. It is. It's one of these sort of tearjerkers, you know. It's, wow. He hears his mother's voice. That's what it's like, I think, to be born again. You know, you, you, you've never heard that voice before. Uh, or something a little less, uh, something a little less sweet and cute. Years ago, and I don't remember. I don't know why I remember this. Probably because I was a creature double feature guy growing up in Channel Fifty Six, right? Um, if you're under forty, you don't even know what that means. You can't see the kingdom of pre forty. But there was a movie with uh, the wrestler Roddy Rowdy Piper, and there were these. There was this sort of alien race that was, I guess, taking over Earth, whatever. And the only way you could see them is if you had this particular pair of glasses. So when you looked at them, you would see, with these glasses on, you would see their faces as like 
partially skulls and partially something else. But to everyone else, they just sort of looked fine. Okay? You could see a reality that wasn't there before. And so when we're born again, we can perceive things that we could not possibly have perceived before. And that could be any number of things. Our own powerlessness, our own, you know, all, all the things about ourselves that are, you know, can be hideous. Uh, things that are very ungodly. Uh, and the Luke verse, Luke 17, 20 to 21. The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is within you. Uh-huh. What a verse that is. What does that tell us about the kingdom of God? It doesn't come with observation. What does that mean? Do you ever that? When you read scripture, just say to the scripture, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Got to do that. Ask the scripture. Say, what are you talking about? What are you saying to me? The kingdom of God does not come with observation, brother. What do you think it means, Gary? This, this, I'll indirectly answer the question, I think. Good. Remember in the book of Acts, the apostles say to Jesus... Will you at this time restore the yes. kingdom yes. to yes. Israel? Yep. Jesus says not for you to know the times of the season, mm-hmm. but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Mm-hmm. So I think Jesus is describing there how that the kingdom of God that they need to be concerned about I for agree. the moment is the kingdom of God within them that is empowering and enabling yes. so that they can spread the gospel and be witnesses sure. in the world. I don't even think they knew what they were asking. They were certainly asking amiss, right? I mean, they were still... I mean, that's another lesson altogether, isn't it? Despite everything that they had seen, were still looking for the kingdom of Israel to be restored. So that tells me they had a sense that they knew Israel still had a destiny to fulfill, but they didn't know Jesus fulfilled Israel's destiny. As again, I mentioned somebody... I don't, know, I don't think it was Carson, but someone way smarter than me said, you know, Jesus is Israel reduced to one. What a great, great thought that is, yeah. You'd be talking about how, um, from a visual standpoint, you can't see that someone is born from above. Mm-hmm. So it's not absor- observable by just looking at someone. I don't know. Uh, he's talking in particular about the kingdom, so I suppose that could apply within. Like, I couldn't see you walking down the street and say, hey, there's a guy that's born again. Right? So, I mean, certainly if we, if we bring it down to the individual level, as opposed to sort of the kingdom... As a uh, you know a, a, a big story, but yeah. Well, sure. And how many times can a mistake be made about uh, the way someone appears to us physically? Okay, and and we would say, wow, you know what I mean. Uh, I had a this friend uh, another church experience tattoo Mike. We call them. He had a uh, tattoo business before he came in. Uh, I think it was before he was born again. It wouldn't matter. I think he couldn't have it while he was born again. But he was just covered with tats. You know, his head was shaved down to nothing. He had tats on the back of his head and everything. And uh, he was a big, big guy. And uh, just a gentle, deep-thinking, meditative, reflective guy. Had, you know, some other issues going on in his life uh, mentally. But, uh, you know, we can make judgments about someone. So, yeah, I think that's a good way of saying if, if we're going to make uh, see somebody that way, that we're misapprehending the kingdom of God. We're still looking at the outer man. So the kingdom of God is these things, brother, Rob. Help. I don't want to jump ahead of you because you may be getting there. Okay. But in terms of the definition of the kingdom of God, if, if you're leaving it, I want to grab you before you leave. Okay. All my life, Christian life, 40 years, I've managed my worry based on Matthew 6, 19-25, that seek first his kingdom yes. and his righteousness mm. and all these yeah. things mm-hmm. given to you. That's a great verse. Do not worry about tomorrow. 
for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each mm-hmm. day has enough trouble of its own. I've been trying to seek the kingdom of God, and granted, I would tell you, I don't really know exactly what it is, and I'm thinking I'm so close to <laughs> someone being able to sum up in a sentence the kingdom of God is. Yeah, I wish I wish we could sum it up in a sentence. I'm going to offer you someone else's. Can't but, right, but if we could, at best, if you're going to be leaving the definition conversation, mm-hmm. the kingdom of God is right. And you could you could probably you, you could probably go to you could you could Google that specific phrase or go to Bible Gateway, put that in a keyword search in in quotes, and make sure you get just that. But the kingdom of God is, and you'd get a number of verses returned. I would say, in a nutshell, the kingdom of God is where God is. Where God is. Almost always, it's followed by the word like. Yeah, in the parables, it's right. right, Jesus says the kingdom of God is like. This is a good point. We did some of those. But you narrow it down to where the Lord reigns. Because God is omnipresent, but He's he's present in and among His people. But that that statement still holds true to where He reigns is where He is. If He reigns in the human heart as well, that's where He is. Rob, he yes. Over the world, that is where he is. Well, that's sort of a good segue to the to the, the verse that I'm going to give you. That's helpful. Not the verse, but the definition. This is this is from, and we're going to look at this gentleman a little bit further down also. But uh, and I'll explain to you who he is after. This is a quote from Dallas Willard. He said, "God's own kingdom or rule is the range of His effective will, where what He wants done is done. The person of God Himself and the action of His will." are the organizing principles of his kingdom. But everything that obeys those principles, whether by nature or by choice, is within his kingdom. This is from his book called The Divine Conspiracy. He says, God's own kingdom or rule is the range of his effective will, where what he wants done is done. The person of God himself, so God and and the action of his will, are the organizing principles of his kingdom. In other words, what he's doing, these are the organizing underlying principles of the kingdom. So yeah, I think that you got pretty close to that. Yeah, well, what it is is that, in my mind, because we want to mm-hmm. think of it rationally and logically, that's just how we're made. Sure. And sometimes we have to go beyond that because we have limitations. So finite. So we understand yeah. that even the kingdom of this world, which is the kingdom of Satan, is also the kingdom of God's because he created it. Mm-hmm. He's over it. He's yeah. author of it. And therefore, he rules it as well so you, we can't those are in my opinion those texts are, are nuances mm-hmm. of God's influence within the realm of sure. interpersonal relationship with man his relationship with humanity mm-hmm. or his relationship with uh, uh, creation and his, his relationship that's over sin and mm-hmm. pure and, mm-hmm. I mean I just I mean it's like you said you can explain it so many different ways but just trying to answer Robert's yeah, a little bit a little succinctness and it, I think it, that helps it's a little bit like saying what's it mean to be born again I mean it, there is a there's just a lot of things and it's hard to sort of by narrowing it down it's, sometimes we well there's a couple of problems um, and I am not a student of Greek or Hebrew but I have read enough uh, from intellectuals scholars and I've heard enough times that said there's just no way in English to really capture sort of what the Greek means now I don't know how they know that without you know what I mean it seems to me you would have to but, but, but in other words they would say there's not one or two words there's like a whole range of thought that goes into this word and the language of the Hebrew and the Greek although of course they're different but a number of times I have read that that it's very difficult to sort of capture in a nutshell so there are ideas I mean even what does it mean to say the word became flesh in the beginning was the word and the word was with God 
right? The logos, the logos. What is the logos? Right? Well, it's it's if 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 if, if all of God's thoughts, of all of his of, of his as much as he wants to reveal of his thoughts and his ways and his character were to be written down, and if that written word could get up and walk off a page, it would be Jesus. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's hard for us because we, we almost we have categories that intersect there. Okay, we say, okay, we get this written word, but this word refers to something beyond itself. It's Jesus, you know. Part of the definition of logos, I think I remember reading, is the, how it affects human. Mm-hmm. The word, how, how it affects humankind. Yeah. The words. Yeah, Jesus, is the, he's, he's the philosophy of God. He's, he's, the, he's the essence of these, all these things. So it is just high. Say all that just to say we narrow it down. So we get a sense when we're talking about the kingdom of God from these different things. And there are more verses. All right, let's, let's get our arms around the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> okay? Is anyone familiar with that verse? Have you heard that verse? If you, if you came in a few minutes after we started, the, the title of our lesson this week and next week is Kingdom Heebie-Jeebies. All right? <laughs> Why do I have them and what do I do about them? So tell me. If this is an actual term, this isn't just something people say. I mean, I guess if you, I don't know what the origin of it is. My mother used it ages ago uh-huh. in relationship to basically the physical feeling and maybe even the, the physical nature of mm. hives and slash the goosebump type of. Yeah, I think that's kidney. definitely part of it. It's it, it's uh, anyone else ever used that term? You've never used that term. You must be under forty. Have you never? Who, who in here has never heard of that term? Never heard of heebie-jeebies. Okay. Generation. Listen, don't listen for it to you. That's what we're getting at. That's a good question. That's why exactly what we're doing. And what a great question. Well, I never have either, but... But I did over but I did when I was thinking about it, okay? So, so... No, so you, you took that where it actually needs to go. Why would anyone say it about the kingdom? That's the question we want to get at. That's good. Yes. Why do they? How do they? Okay. Well, the proper definition of the heebie-jeebies, it's a condition of extreme nervousness caused by fear, worry, strain, the jitters, the willies. Okay? So what then, to Lydia's question, what then would kingdom heebie-jeebies look like? Or... How do we experience them? How do they manifest themselves in our lives? Maybe if you're wondering if you're good enough to get into heaven. Yeah. Am I good enough, really, to get into heaven? Uh, Something else. What else would would a kingdom, knowing what we've said about the kingdom, knowing what heebie-jeebies are... I I think a lot of the world thinks it takes away their freedom. And Mm. so they're afraid of that. Gives them the freedom. That's true. Let's, let's, Let's focus specifically on those that profess to be in Christ. So how about so following a little bit on April's lead? You know, am I pleasing God? A- am I watching the wrong things on TV? Do I witness enough? Uh, when I'm at work, do I work as unto the Lord? Do I really? Uh, am I making a difference in this world? I asked again. I asked the brother. These are some of the things I asked the brother this week. I said sometimes these questions haunt me, and this response where I think they affect a lot of the children of God. Am I more to my coworkers than just the Scripture? And the sayings that I have posted all around my office because I've got things everywhere. You know, am I more to them than just that? Am I just a nut with some papers on the wall? I was thinking of the, the verse that um, 
fear is the beginning of wisdom. Hmm? That fear seems to be tied with that kind of almost nervousness, mm-hmm. fear, that type of fear of, of God that you're in, you're surrounded by His mm-hmm. power. But I think that we can have a fear of God that doesn't include any of this stuff. You know? Again, if... if I like the... Um, I think I shared this once. I keep this in my... The biblical meaning of the fear of the Lord is silent wonder, radical amazement, affectionate awe at the infinite goodness of God. I think it's always a more positive thing than we like to make it out to be. There is a fear of the God. Where we ought to fear Him, especially the unbeliever, but the believer should never ever have... That kind of it should never be scared of God, right? There's a fear that means being scared of God, and then there's another fear, which is another. A good example of a heebie-jeebie, the best that I can think of, was a godly brother. He was an elder. This was up in Canada, and I was you know, quite friendly with the family, and he had uh, developed cancer and metastasized, mm. and he was he was dying, mm. basically on his deathbed, and he was he was starting to think that he wasn't right with God mm-hmm. and he wasn't saved and that he wouldn't go to heaven when he died. Mm-hmm. Right up till the end. Yep. And I called the house and I asked his wife if I could talk with him but he didn't want to even talk. Mm-hmm. You know, I, don't, I, I, I have never been one that believes that if you're a Christian, every Christian dies wonderfully at peace on his deathbed. I've never bought that and I never will. Uh, because there's just so much going on in the body and the mind. I would like that. I've seen some real peaceful death. Uh, um, anyway, uh, so 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 among us, then, who experiences these things? Who has these thoughts? Show of hands. Does anyone have thoughts like this about their walk in Christ at all? Mm-hmm. Just concerns that you might have about uh, these kinds of things that, that that gnaw at you, that might haunt you once in a while. It might be in the relationship that you have with your husband or wife. It might be in the way things are going. Could be any number of things in your life that you just say, is this really what it is like to experience power in the kingdom of God? Is this really what it's like to live a a life of uh, love, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost? Is this really what it's like? Am I living what I see in the kingdom? Is this happening to me? Am I experiencing the kingdom? Or am I just hearing sermons? Am I just, you know... is, Is this the experience, let me ask, to be normative among the followers of Jesus? John 10.10. 10. Anybody know it? Oh, the thief comes. He came to give us life yeah. and life more abundantly. Yeah. He came that we would have life, thank you, and that we would have it more abundantly. And I can look at my life in any number of times, my thought life, not necessarily, but just my, I guess this the heebie-jeebies, kingdom heebie-jeebies. It's a great way to describe them. I'll always hold on to that. I taught myself something well. God has shown me some things about myself. And I, want, I don't want to ignore those things. Because I think that there's a potential concern with the fact that I even have to ask the question. Okay? Uh, does it point to something that we need to really grapple with and not just settle for? Merely, ta- merely taking comfort in the fact that, hey, I know lots of Christians who experience this. And after all, I attend Sunday school. I pass out tracts. I faithfully attend small groups. I'm persuaded that it's something that we must grapple with and confront because he be Jesus. <laughs> right? Right? I like it. That came to me as I was just struggling with 
the whole heebie-jeebies. I don't have to struggle with the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, but you won't forget it. See? There's a reason why we give children nursery rhymes. There's a, there's a reason why we sing the ABCs. We don't have to live with the heebie-jeebies because heebie-jesus. Right? You don't have to. And I know that they'd appreciate that down in Haiti. I know they would. I bet you the way you could say that in Creole would be maybe not as good, but close. Um, so I guess I think there's no reason to settle for those things. And this is why I bring out the lesson. I don't think that we should just sort of settle for that and just say, well, this is just a reality that I have to live with. Even if it is something that we continue to live with, I think that we need to be able to express to our souls, speak to our own souls and say, this is not the abundant life that Christ is talking about. This is not the kingdom that has come with power. This is not being endued with power from on high. This is not living life the way Christ intended for us to live life. This is not why the Spirit indwells me. So there has to be more than settling for that. There has to be a, an, an inner answer to the question that we ask ourselves. And so when I see those questions in myself or I feel those things haunting me, and they are themselves means that God uses to draw us more to Himself. So this has nothing to do with like suggesting we live some sort of a sinless life of perfection or something. Okay? This has to do with nervousness about our relationship with Christ and nervousness sort of about our relationship with others. Yep? In the small groups, we're going through Pilgrim's Progress. And it appears to me that this guy, Christian, is going through the heat yeah. throughout the whole book. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Down in Castle. Yes, well, that, that's something, isn't it? The giant despair. Oh, the sloth of despond. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good book. You're studying that. That's a good book to have in small group. Um, so, are you with me on this? Are you with me that this should not be a place that we should just settle for? doesn't mean that it will go away, but I think we need to at least acknowledge these questions don't need to haunt or haunt somebody that is in Christ. We don't need to live that way. Yes? I think part of the foundation for overcoming the heebie-jeebies is found in the verse where Jesus said, I will never leave thee for forsaken. Mm-hmm. And I think we don't grasp that to its full extent. I agree. But it's the more we do... There's a lot of things that we don't grow in. And one of the reasons why we might ask ourselves this question or feel that question, and I think it could be a question that's wrought by the Holy Spirit, is that we're not living or performing as if we really believe what we say and we believe. Right? As if we're really, truly, you know, again, there was a sermon, uh, I preached on one not too long ago, but, you know, help my, un- help my unbelief. Uh, I, I think that there is a process for us maturing. Uh, there's a process for us getting through that. I think these might be signs that say that you're this a maturity issue. There's a um, a faith issue, or there's just a laziness issue, or there's a. It's hard. It's, it's hard to put your finger on as it is to put your finger on what the kingdom of God is. But I know based on what the kingdom of God, the way it's discussed in Scripture, is that. I shouldn't be walking through it just like a peasant. You know what I mean? I should be I should be sort of mounted on a white horse, sort of going through its streets, dressed in the righteous robes of Christ and enjoying the fellowship of yes. Of April. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, he does. And so if you're doing that to yourself and he's doing that to you, then it's a great point. That's a that's a, it's magnetic that way. You will draw him right to yourself with that. You know what I mean? The thoughts themselves may be sort of put there by Satan, but if those thoughts come from within, you know, a shark can smell blood from a very long distance away. You know, and demons can certainly sniff that kind of insecurity from a long distance away. And he comes but to seek to kill. He he to kill to destroy, right? He he wants to devour. So. I don't want that happening to me. I don't want it happening to us. For this week, what remains, and next week, I'm just going to have us turn to two guides, so to speak, um, with somewhat different, although entirely related perspectives, each in its own place, of the outworking, say, of John 15:5. right? He who abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. We're supposed to be, we can be, put, away, put aside the sort of condemning language of supposed to and should, okay? We can be. We have the opportunity to be. We have the occasion to be fruitful because God's glorified in it. Always fruitful. Our fruit is always in season. Okay? Uh, it's just always in season. You know, you get those grapes around September, October, and they're never better than September, October. You snap into them and oh. And then you get them this time of year now, or it's just this sort of round, wet thing that tastes a little like. They used to taste, right? This fruit that just is not always in season. Our fruit can always be in season. We can be ready in season and out, as Scripture says. Um, and those two people are Dallas Willard and A.W. Tozer. Uh, is anyone familiar with Dallas Willard? Everyone ever, anyone ever heard that name? Good. You have. I'm not surprised you have. Uh, A.W. Tozer. Anyone, anyone not heard of A.W. Tozer? Okay, cool. Well, I, that doesn't surprise me because that probably wouldn't be on your reading list. Um, but it could be. Um, Google him. Get his books. Get some of his books. Now, I'll introduce Dallas Willard a little bit, but about both of these men, I would always say, as I do, that there are things about them that I'm sure I would not adhere to. Okay? Uh, Dallas Willard was surely not a Calvinist. Okay? Um, Dallas Willard was a spiritual formation guy um, among other things in addition to being just mind-bogglingly intellectual and deep spiritually deep um, he had uh, Dallas Willard just so you know a little about him undergrad degrees in psychology philosophy and religion and he had PhD in philosophy and he taught at USC and UCLA um, it says on the website, now he died two or three years ago from pancreatic cancer. Even after at the age of 77. And notice where I said he taught. US, USC and UCLA. What does that tell you? Liberals. Liberal. Yeah. He wasn't liberal by any stretch of the imagination. He taught philosophy there. Okay. Even after graduating college and his ordination as a Southern Baptist minister, Dallas knew that there was still much more to learn. He considered himself, quote, abysmally ignorant about God and the soul and a hazard to those who listen to him preach. So he decided to attend graduate school and study the big ideas of philosophy, knowing, knowing that Jesus and his teaching were addressing the same questions philosophers have been wrestling with throughout human history. Okay? And that's what philosophy does, man. It wrestles with questions about reality. Okay? 
And that's why so much secular philosophy misses so much. It's, it's searching for the thing that it's nowhere really near because it's asking the wrong questions. He often told people who were pursuing truth about life that if you could find a better way to live than following Jesus, Jesus would be the first one to tell you to take it. What a great, bold statement that is. If you can find a better way to live than living as the follower of Christ, Jesus would tell you to take it. Now, obviously there isn't one. and Obviously, Jesus never would. But there's a lot to that statement, isn't there? In his book, Renovation of the Heart, Dallas Willard develops the acronym VIM, as in Vim and Vigor. Now, there's another phrase that maybe if you're under 40, you don't know. i got to ask, has anyone never heard Vim and Vigor? Show of hands. Okay, right. Again, the under... Well, you, Based on the age of your child, I would say that you're, you know... You, you mentioned something about your child, that so you're over forty, if, if that's or started young, I suppose. Either way, but you, you could pass for that anyway. So, what is vim and vigor? We suppose the vim and vigor. Well, how did we use that term? Energy. Yeah, energy, right? The vim and vigor. So, some is energy and, and energetic. Um, I'm sorry. A whirlwind. Who said that? You could be that. <laughs> oh, yeah, Nancy, it's not my fault. It's not. Okay, to address the real potential for personal growth in Christ. Okay, he uses the he uses this acronym VIM. It's uh, something that we do, something we're engaged in to develop, to continue to develop in Christ and to grow in Him. And again, the de- the definition of VIM is used in VIM and vigorous, robust energy and enthusiasm. All right. So his is not a passive approach. His is not a passive approach. It's not just sort of sit there and listen. Okay? He asks, if we are active in the process of spiritual formation, does that mean we are acting on our own? How does grace and effort relate in spiritual growth? Great question. How do grace and effort relate in spiritual growth? Let me ask that. Let me put it out there. Because this is a question I think we all should be asking. Because it's... I think, in some ways, it is, uh, it's the undercurrent which sort of carries along these doubts and concerns. Kelly, you had your hand up first? I think of it as the inside is God. That's the heart change. The outside is my job, the will. I have to work with what God is doing. Mm-hmm. Yep, okay. Todd? Well, I just, uh, actually, I'm just kind of uh, further... I'm giving a commercial right now. Good, do it. Well, the idea though is that um, uh, in a few weeks we're going to probably talk about a lot of hyper grace guys. Okay. And well, good. That, that is that is the paradigm. The ah. Paradigm is um, grace and effort don't mix. Ah, grace and effort and don't mix. Some statements are mm. that the effort is now lost. Ah, very and good. So it's, the understanding of it is hugely important. Oh, that's going to be interesting to hear, right? Yes. Well, I would say that they have to cooperate. Yes. But the will is subordinate to the grace office. Well, yeah. One sort of precedes the other, certainly. I mean, there's a prescient or prevenient grace, right? Yes. I almost picture it like a braid. I don't know whether or not it it, it isn't a perfect analogy, but each in its turn, Mm -hmm. and that it's really creating one, Mm -hmm. and that there's strength Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, there is a place for effort. I mean, we are not puppets. 
we are not just passively going through this world and the Spirit is doing everything in us and we're doing nothing. We, in fact, to think of it that way is to think of it wrong anyway, I think. I don't understand the interrelatedness. I don't understand, honestly. And I would challenge anyone to give a good description of what it means to be united to God. We're united to Christ. We're united. I mean, I mean the depths of it. We can certainly talk about it. But the depths of that, what it means, I don't think we'll know until after, you know, what it means to be united to Christ. When I think about that, that's one of those verses that can sort of like give me the heebie-jeebies. I can think about, okay, I'm united to Christ. Here's a good one. This will challenge the men and maybe the women, but this will certainly challenge the men. Um, oh, good. What a great time for a crisis manager to show up. Good timing. <laughs> if, if, um, and this is, if I'm united to Christ, and Christ was with women all the time. He had women ministering all the time, sharing their monies with Him. He was teaching them. Women were with Him all the time. Now, if as a man... I see an attractive woman go by and I almost very quickly I will just say check her out. What happens if I not only just sort of you know sort of do this but what if I do this? Okay? And then I read the verse I'm united to Christ. That gives me the heebie-jeebies. Talked about kingdom heebie-jeebies. I'm sorry your name? Lucretia. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Um this is Rocky. Yes, I assume that. Otherwise, we got the problem I'm discussing right now, right? So, so that happens to me. I have those thoughts. Or, um, boy, did I just get really agitated about a particular thing, um, and just sort of made a donkey of myself in, in, in the process. Or, I just dropped the f bomb on my snowblower. I'm united to Christ. Those things don't go together. And they give me, those things give me the sort of goosebumps. Again, not being a perfectionist by any stretch of the imagination, but wanting the reality of union with Christ to manifest itself fully in my life so that, so that I smell better to God. You know what I mean? So, yes? How can you uh, avoid being legalistic and do what... I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Or being accused of being legalistic. Right. And that's a great question, isn't it? Because it's one that I ask myself. Am I just being legalistic? And it's not. It is desiring to be more attractive to the world. It's a desire to not look so much like the world that they don't see the difference between anyone else they work with and me. I'm bearing witness to Christ all the time. So it doesn't have to do with perfection. It has to do with... um, I I guess, let's say we're talking about a a sport of some kind. Am I being an athletic legalist if I just I keep on working on that swing and I'm not happy because it's not a perfect swing well why do I want it to be a perfect swing because I want to hit that ball as far as I can for the team you know what I mean I want to so it's one thing is, is saying is that be, because legalism is the means that people treat legalistic when we're talking about legalism it's okay this becomes the means of your being considered righteous with God the legalist thinks that those things somehow make them more righteous in God's sight or more acceptable in God's sight but the scripture also says things like our ambition is to be pleasing him. That's New Testament. That's New Covenant. We have Paul saying our ambition is to be pleasing him. Jesus said, I do always those things which please the Father. Well, he's not talking about 
you know, uh, we're not we're not talking about that as if those things that we do somehow earn us a particular standing with God. And this is where it's going to come in with a V, and I'm going to have to just introduce it here, where the V and Vim stands for vision, okay? Um, the Vim is vision, intention, and means. Let me just introduce that to you. The acronym Vim is vision, intention, and means, okay? Um, and in this book that I just mentioned, The Divine Conspiracy, he entirely pursues this theme, and we're just going to do an overview of his concepts, but I think it is enough. So the vision of life in the kingdom, the intention to be a kingdom person, and applying the means to that end. And this applies to the pursuit of anything in life, actually, really. Okay? And so we're going to look at that acronym and how it relates. But to the direct question, I want to make sure we answer this. How do you do that without sounding like a legalistic person? Well, I'm not doing it to suggest that it adds anything or that I have to do this in order to... You know, when we talk about legalism in the Scripture, and we can easily confuse what legalism is, but the legalism we saw in Scripture had a lot to do with you can't really consider yourself a Christian, for example, unless you get circumcised. Even Jewish Christians were doing this for a while. Really, born-again Christians were doing this for a while. If you really want to be fully in Christ, you have to be circumcised. You have to do this. I'm talking about the character of Christ in us. I'm talking about righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. It may sound a little bit selfish at times, but if I'm experiencing those things, I'm missing out on the, on the best possible relationship I can have with God. That's the difference I'm looking at. And so if they say, well, are you ever going to be content unless you're fully like that? I mean, is, at what point in your struggle with this do you say to yourself, okay, uh, I guess I've satisfied God enough or something. Yes? I mean, I think it's just evident of the great grace of God. Mm. Because if we have this intent to try to be legalistic, to try and get that sweet spot, right. huh? which we'll never hit, and we'll always be exasperated, yeah. we are humble. Yes. And when we're humble, we become dependent on mm. God. It's sort of a cat catching its tail. And we, we find ourselves where we should be uh-huh. in the grace of God. I mean, the, the better I am at, you know, if, if I have to put a knee strap on so that I can run more faithfully and without pain, and so that I can increase my time and do all those things. Does that does that make me? So if I'm going to practice sports righteousness, right? There's a way of getting better and better at it all the time, so to speak, so that I fully enjoy the sport. I want to be fully. I want to be. I want to be fully suited to living the most robust kingdom life, which includes a corporate life with everyone. You know what I mean? Yes. That's why I think the Lord alleviates the tension tremendously by the. Overall, like our our overall identity with Christ and mm-hmm. union with Him through mm-hmm. suffering. Mm-hmm. Yes. Without suffering incorporated into yep. the life of the man, mm-hmm. the life of the man can never be like Christ in mm-hmm. union with Him, mm-hmm. and he will always have a selfish uh, attitude towards mm-hmm. his own sanctification. Yep. And suffering is, in my opinion, is the key. Yes. And then, how do you respond to that suffering? Go yeah. back to the selfish man, or are you humbled by it in the very nature of seeking unity with Christ in the midst mm-hmm. of that suffering? And so there's a big difference between legalism and growing up into the fullness of the stature of Christ. The scripture says we can do that. It, it tells us not to be legalists, but at the same time we see that we can grow up into the fullness. Paul said he was engaged with them doing what he was doing so that they could grow up. He was like a, in the pains of childbirth until they're fully formed. Right? Until they grow up into the fullness of the stature of Christ. Until we maturely grow all of us together. Everything doing what it's supposed to be doing. Working together. And, and, and just why? So it glorifies God more. 
You know, I I I I I want I want to be I want to enjoy the riches of my relationship in Christ. I want to know it, right? Which means, like, like Paul said, I want to know Christ in the power of His resurrection. Well, what's the power of His resurrection got to do with any of this? I mean, just think, think about it, right? I can live a life that is more rich in Christ without the, the, the without the constantly. If, if I want to be that that sort of as good as I can at the sport, then you I mean you got to put down the funny bones, right? He, if you really want to be that good, you, you, you got to put down the junk food, man. You're out there, you're practicing, you swing eight hours a day, you hit 37 baseballs an hour, whatever, but you're still pounding the funny bones. Okay? I want to stop pounding the funny bones, don't you? All right. Ken, would you pray for us? we got to finish here. I'm just rambling.